In case you missed the announcement at the beginning of our previous episode with Nian Yang, I have a new game out. All Our Yesterdays is available right now on my itch for Pay What You Want, and links, of course, will be in the show notes. Warning, this episode contains some strong language. Listener discretion is advised. Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bisniex. Listeners, I'm super excited today to welcome, for the first time to this show, one of my oldest writing friends, honestly. Uh, Amy Kaczynski is an author, a narrator, an amazing martial artist, just a fantastic all-around person. Amy, welcome to the show. Thanks, Hilary. I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Uh... I, I was kind of shocked when I asked you, hey, do you want to be on this show? Like, wait, how haven't, have, how, why, why didn't I have Amy on before? Like, you but. know, uh, it, there are lots of writers in the world and um, I'm just glad you got around to me. That's the important <laughs> thing. That is the important thing. Absolutely. Uh, so you're going to be reading from Tilted. Is there anything we need to know about it before we get in? Uh, yes. Um, this scene is, um, early on in the novel, um, but a couple of important things happened in the first, uh, few bits before this. So, um, we have a world in which zombies are an integrated part of life, Mm -hmm. um, they uh the world is vaguely victorian steampunky uh the main character at least in the first scene is a woman <laughs> named Hélène de Martine who at the end of the first scene is horrifically murdered in front of her son mhm um, i remember this well yes uh the only thing you have to know starting off after this is that the 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 servants of the nobility are called revenants and they are people who died as a result of some sort of violence mm-hmm. and um Elen, because she was murdered she is going to wake up with enough sensibility and um bideability to serve as a servant in a different home. People who die as a result of natural causes uh, wake up wild and feral and are um, either burned or uh, cast out of the city that they live in. Mm -hmm. We love to see it. We do, we do. All right. In life, Helen had counted many as friends and few as enemies. In her, the maternal instinct came second only to her scientific pursuits, and so she collected lost souls as a kindly fishmonger collects stray cats. Hmm. Her most devoted foundling entered the waking room in a flash of gray skirt and red cap. She skidded to a stop, her arms outstretched as she attempted to regain her balance from such unaccustomed speed, the flesh of those arms as gray as the dress she wore. The Revenant had eyes only for Hélène upon the ornate crimson beer, for the darkening stain on the dress, the lifeless curl of one delicate palm. The servants had already washed the dried blood from her pale and mottling skin. Hélène's body, this close to her waking, had begun to emit the scent of dead leaves. Hmm. Dr. Marie Fluette inhaled the dank perfume, though it nauseated her. Oh, madame... I did not think to see you here so soon. The good doctor was the most famous of revenants, though she herself would wrinkle her nose and insist the proper word was infamous. (laughs) In all the history of the undead crisis, Marie Fluette was the only revenant to exhibit the full faculties she'd had in life. It was a lonely position, 
A person such as this must take the offered hand of friendship and clutch it tight to her cold, unmoving chest. Helene de Martine had been Marie's only confidant. All of this was at the back of Marie's race from the laboratory wing, across the breadth of the house and toward the waking room, the pain in her chest, the fear with its teeth buried deep in her mind. Marie remembered her own waking with sharp clarity, and thus had never attended another, not until today. So focused was she, her numb fingers wrapped about each other, that when a body blocked her view of Hélène, Marie shied like a startled gray horse. Embarrassment eclipsed her grief, followed swiftly by the red star of anger. "'Curse you, Pierre! Get out of my way!' She shooed him away from her as if he were a fat, lazy blowfly. "'How many times must I remind you that I am not a servant?' She glared, but Pierre remained obdurate. His white eyes cast down, he gestured to the beer. "'Need more room, doctor.' He did not look her in the eye, None of the servants ever did. Even though Marie detested the necessity of interacting with the servants, their avoidance still stung. He have surveyed her, his gaze lowered, his posture deferential. Marie folded her arms across her chest and made no move to retreat. Behind him, a newly cold fist spasmed and clenched, rustling the cloth it lay upon. Hélène's time was close. The sound chilled Marie's blood, and her resolve wavered. Pierre leaned toward Marie as if to share a confidence. Unwilling, she gave him her ear. Doctor, he said, Thierry is here. Ah! Marie stepped back, scanned the room she had ignored earlier. The candles around the beer did little to brighten the large, rough-paneled room, the unpolished planks absorbing the light. Thierry watched from the angled nook of the back staircase, deep shadows dousing the corners. He likely thought himself invisible there, but to a revenant's eyes he stood out clearly. Thierry appeared smaller without his customary red coat, and he leaned against the pale papered wall as though his legs trembled. The brown stains upon his shirt matched those upon his mother's cream-colored dress. The attention of the two revenants weighed on Thierry like a mildewed blanket, and he shifted uneasy beneath it. They must have sensed his discomfort, for they retreated out of sight. For once, he blessed Dr. Fluette. Though her sharp mind and diction were disgusting to him and unnatural besides, she at least had the sense to see that her kind was not welcome here. He would have glared them back to their place himself were it not for his mother's twitching, contracting shape on the beer. The slash through the familiar throat had already weathered to a thick gray scar that jumped with every sound it tried and failed to make. Secluded behind his knees, his sister Lisette knelt on polished granite, cold and slick as ice. At thirteen she was small enough to deceive visitors into thinking her much younger— the day's events exaggerated the effect, softened her wide eyes, and bent her spine until she seemed half her age. Terry knew he should pull her to her feet, take her from the waking room, spare her the sight before them. He could not. He instead lay his hand on her dark curls and watched with her. Hmm. Revenants stood in a ring around the bier, a wall of red-topped gray through which Terry could see little. The hands twitched, spasmed, grabbed with increasing purpose. The scene was eerily silent. With an abrupt start, the body on the bier sat bolt upright. Thierry cut his eyes away. He could not, he could not stand the sight of that beloved face turned gray and hideous, the eyes filmed and idiotic. Fabric rustled. The circle of revenants closed in on their newest fellow, helped her to her feet, and led her toward the door in the back, the door that opened only from this side, the door to the servants' quarters. The hinges creaked as they closed. Thierry shuddered. Lisette hid her face against his boots, and he forced his tremors to stillness. He hunkered down to face her. Little sister, just go to bed. It'll be dark soon. Thierry's voice rasped, dry and exhausted in his throat. His hand shook butterfly light on her shoulder, and he pressed harder to make it stop. 
Lisette turned her head and curled away from his touch. Someone killed Maman, Terry. Her throat is cut and now she's gray and can't talk and she smells like the servants. Terry frowned. The childish words were a regression, a frighteningly blank statement from his usually bubbly sister. Another tear slid down his cheek, and embarrassment at his weakness pushed his worry away. He scraped the tears away with the heel of one hand. He had wept enough for today, for many days. Did Lisette not see the blood on his shirt? Perhaps it was best she did not know his part in Mother's death, for her interrogation would open his wounds further. The confining, awkward geometry of the waking room pinched his shoulders, and he doubted he could tolerate the strange space much longer. Dearie, he sighed. What? Lisette thinned her lips at his tone, but she did not allow it to stop her. Her face was flushing warmer, as if the questioning brought her back to herself. Why would someone kill Maman? Not how could they, but why? Thierry half-smiled at Lisette's sharp question. She was our chief biologist, the most important person in the house. Lisette frowned. I know that. What does Maman's job have to do with anything? Her fingers found the lace hem of her skirt, and she began to run the edges through her fingers, as if counting on an abacus. Thierry hunkered down, putting his face on her level. You know the job of all the houses is to solve the problem of the undead, yes? She rolled her eyes. Everyone knows that, she frowned. Uh, but if Maman was working on the cure, wouldn't that make her too important to die? His mouth in a thin line, Thierry nodded. It does. To House Martine, she is, he swallowed, was too important to lose. To the other houses, though, Maman was a barrier to their own advancement. He felt the snarl on his lips again, smoothed it away for Lisette's sake. Our enemies would rather the world burn. Lisette thought about this, then shook her head until her curls danced. That's not fair. She took hold of the cuff of his shirt and tugged. She did not flinch at the cloth, stiff with dried blood. Thierry tensed, his bitter laugh choking in his throat. He longed to leave, to take the stairs two at a time, to slam the door to his room, to finally be alone. His manners forced that need down, despite their tattered state. What is it now? His sister's face was an indistinct heart shape in the growing dark. Why isn't Papa here? <sighs> Why, indeed. Thierry had not thought himself in possession of enough energy for rage and now found that he had been wrong. <laughs> he disentangled her hand from his cuff and held it in his hands. Father is not here because... The words that burned Thierry's tongue accused his father of not caring for Hélène. Children often misunderstood their parents, especially when their most basic natures are closely aligned. Thierry was indeed his father's son, though he repudiated all he thought Guillaume stood for. Mm. Swallowing his disgust, Thierry continued, Because custom dictates that we stay away. Lisette's dark lashes fluttered. But you are here. He shook his head. I should not be, nor should you. Now he saw the wisdom in society's dictate. Mother mm. is gone. He swallowed past a lump of grief, and she has been gone for hours. We prolong the pain her death causes us if we must watch her body get to its feet and walk away. And there you go. Ooh, that, that shit still hits. Yay, that's exactly <laughs> what I'd like to hear. Um, we, I, I, uh, alluded to this earlier but uh full disclosure i mean like listeners you know that most of my guests are already friends of mine um amy and i have been on and off recently more off than on uh critique buddies for what seven years now seven and, yeah. and a half years I think, if I remember correctly, uh, was 2014. 
it that's right it was yeah yeah so uh it's been a minute it's it's really been a minute (laughs) um and uh yeah i remember i remember the first chapter of this book so clearly uh i was very excited to see that you were going to be reading from this it is full of vibes i mean it It is full of them and i mean that is essentially how i came up with the idea in the first place where i i you know writers hate to say this but i had a dream (laughs) where i don't remember much of it other than the vibes where it was Mm -hmm. mostly gray and pastel and there were zombies but they weren't scary zombies they were unsettling always around you kind of zombies mm-hmm. and um i remember like frothy white dresses and and <sighs> tuxedos and all of that so it it um made a strong enough impression on me that i felt like i needed to take those vibes and make them words <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and uh, i i got a 120,000 word novel out of it I mean, I, I very rarely get that many words out of a set of vibes, so. <laughs> I, uh, I, I don't always. This was, this was one that still kind of sticks in my head every once in a while. So mm-hmm. anything that's, that's that strong is, is going to stick around long enough for me to make, um, make something out of it. The, the novel that I'm um, querying right now is visually kind of the opposite. It's mm-hmm. um, space elves. So everything is mm-hmm. bright, brilliant colors and green and everything is alive. So it, I think, honestly, I start out most of my uh, long pieces, at least, um, more as, as, as just feels than anything else and mm-hmm. build from there. Yeah, um, I I know that Space Elves predates the final season of uh, She-Ra, Princess of Power. Yes. But uh, it does, whenever I think of Space Elves, I cannot help but think of one of the ending images. Slight spoiler for She-Ra, Princess of Power, and the Princess of Power, which came out, like, final season came out two years ago listeners uh but there's this ending image of you know the big bads invading spaceship getting turned into this huge tree and uh like that is indelibly linked in my head with your space elves there are absolutely living ftl tree ships so yep yeah yep that's exactly what I had in my head. It's it's good stuff. It's real good stuff. So I wonder if you can talk a little bit about sort of uh, this novel's journey beyond the initial uh, vibes to 120k words. Sure. Um, this, uh, a section of this novel actually is what make, got me into Vival Paradise. Mm -hmm. in um 2016 and uh from there i mean the the experience of being at viable paradise was would be hard to overemphasize how important it was to my Mm -hmm. writing career like i i remember every second of of that week and a half and it was worth every penny and worth all the the stress and anxiety um and I got to uh, spend time with a lot of really fabulous authors, both, you know, the instructors and the people that I went to the workshop with, including mm-hmm. like John Appel and Karen Osborne and Valerie Valdez, people who've gone on yeah. to sell novels and do well with them. And um, from that, I, 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 realized pretty early on that because my my reading habits are almost entirely novels mm-hmm. um my personal rhythms lend themselves more to novels mm-hmm. so i i will start a short story and 
it it doesn't even finish clearing its throat by the first mm-hmm. 4,000 words. <laughs> so um, it was a matter of just sitting down with it and figuring out where I wanted to go. And um, I'm a pretty obsessive plotter. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've gotten more so since I started using Scrivener exclusively from, for novel-length projects. Um, I, I make a beat sheet that I'm using, and mm-hmm. then I transfer that into um, Scrivener, and I write up a short summary of what I expect every scene to include. And mm-hmm. that's I put that in as a separate little file in Scrivener so that I can move it around or do whatever I want with it. And right. I don't always stick exactly to it. I mean, there's... there's <laughs> mood, mood, mood. <laughs> there, there are characters that just do things that it, it no longer makes sense. Like, the changes propagate out. Just like mm-hmm. with, with any um, piece of art that's somewhat linear. It's like you change something and then two chapters on, it does not make at all sense for your mm-hmm. main character to be doing the thing you have them doing. So there's stuff that needs to be adjusted. But... Um, for me, it's really important to know what I'm going to sit down and write that day mm-hmm. so that I don't spend the first hour trying to figure out what that is. I just have it there. Um, and from that, I did, um, like, like you saw uh, at least a few of these chapters um, before I called it done. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I sent it off to beta readers. Did you beta read this for me? Hillary? I think that I started beta reading it and then life happened. It happens a lot, doesn't it? It happens a lot. <laughs> I, I certainly remember at least the first like five or six chapters vaguely. Right. And the first two chapters extremely strongly. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. And... So once I got my comments back from beta readers, I probably did another two or three revisions after that, just Mm -hmm. because I felt like I was taking on a lot. Like it's, I was seriously attempting to do omniscient voice Mm -hmm. when that is not really a huge thing these days. People tend Mm -hmm. to, to write more um, visually than than omniscient really likes uh mm-hmm. and and it's it's kind of a it's it's something that now at my current state i feel like i might be able to take on but it is it's hard it's hard to mm-hmm. know how to make those transitions in in a natural way so that it ends up not feeling like head hopping yeah um, there's some of that that you can't avoid i mean it's like People are used to reading uh, close third or first person. They're not used to a hovering narrator that sits over top of everything and knows what's mm-hmm. going on everywhere. Um, but also, it's just really difficult to do right. Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I so far this year, I've reread the first three. I want to say. Uh, Earthsea books, and I'm in the middle of, uh, I just got to Lothlorien, so kind of the middle of, uh, book two of the six books of Lord of the Rings. Yep. Uh, so, like, having a lot of that, uh, sort of older style Mm -hmm. of omniscient narration going on, and, like, it's it just like even leaving aside all of the other hard work that Le Guin and Tolkien did, like that is hard work. So hard, so hard. Um, I I'm actually um, for research purposes reading a lot of Jane Austen right now, mm-hmm. and it's fascinating to me how different the prose style is, and yet how incredibly easy it is to read mm-hmm. um it i feel like i'm i'm either learning a lot of new things or i'm unlearning some things that i didn't need to learn mm-hmm. uh, as a result of of reading that and like i was i was talking with karen osborne on her twitch stream about how writers these days have grown up on tv 
and mm-hmm. movies a lot more than they've grown up on books. So novels tend to uh, read more cinematically than they need to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said something about us needing to figure out what needs to be described and what needs to be inferred. Mm-hmm. And that line is difficult and it really yeah. depends on the style you're choosing to write in and also just your own personal style. Mm-hmm. Like I tend to write things that, um, at least in novels so far, I tend to write things that are a little closer to like Lord of the Rings in terms of uh, language. and mm-hmm. um, Lord of the Rings, the book. Lord of the Rings, the book, not the movie. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I like my... Um, descriptive prose and um emotional characters mm-hmm. uh, but the um the story that i published uh most recently in um uh translunar travelers lounge called oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. fractured that one has a very different um perspective and different uh, voice even mm-hmm. though it is it's still my voice. It's just what comes out when I'm trying to write something that um, I can't remember who said this, but somebody referred to like the voice of the Murderbot novels by Martha Wells as mm-hmm. first person asshole, yeah. <laughs> and that's I kind of like what I was Val, going for. Maybe? That is entirely possible. It is. Uh, it's it's an extremely fun voice to work in, and it's easy to get your audience on your side. Mm-hmm. Because everybody likes those snarky little voices when they're not pointed at you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, the the other touch point that I was thinking, both in terms of like uh, not necessarily first person asshole, but uh, like limited third person asshole. Uh, that also I was thinking of because of your reading from Tilted is the Locked Tomb series. Oh yeah, which is like. You know, extremely logged in, extremely snarky. Yep. Um, and you know, and has spooky, scary skeletons in it. It it's it's one of the books that um, it's hard to pin down exactly what it is. It's it's almost like a a magical serendipity of a book where mm-hmm. um, you've got the vibes that that just resonate from the very pages especially if you've got the ones that that are sprayed black on the edges yeah. um, the uh the just the absolute snark that just about everyone wishes they could come up with on the spur mm-hmm. of the moment um it, the, there's it, there's so much to appreciate in that novel, and I was I was so pleased that with the second novel, she managed to not only to, in some places, replicate what she did, but also expand on it and make it different mm-hmm. and even more um, experimental in a way. Like, yeah. how often do you see second person done well in popular novels? Plenty of yeah, times in and, fanfic, but not... And not, not even, like second person done well in a limited way but like second person done well for half the chapters yes yes and, and to be switching back and forth between second person and third person limited is i was so like i was just very much like on for the ride <laughs> but when we got to the turning point where it it suddenly came together like, oh, this is why that's happening. I was so mad. I was like, just <laughs> scream. Not not because I was mad at the plot. I, mm-hmm. Not that I was mad at the content of the plot. I was mad at the plot for doing that thing very uh, well. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if you want to take that to the extreme, the use of second person in um, uh, N.K. Jemison's. Uh, Broken Earth series was just absolutely brilliant like when I figured out what she was doing in there Mm -hmm. I like I'm I'm old enough I'm nearly 50 I'm old enough that 
second person does not read as as it would to somebody who's in their 20s. And that's just mm-hmm. natural. But once I figured out what she was doing with it, I was on board 100%. Um, same mm-hmm. with Anne Leckie's um, The Raven Tower. Oh, yeah. Where it took me a while to figure it out. But as soon as I figured out why she'd done it that way, I mm-hmm. I, I devoured the book. Um, yeah. So I love when authors can take something unusual and do it technically well for a related reason. Like, it's not mm-hmm. there just to show off. It's there for a reason. Yeah. I mean, they are, all, are also showing off, but that's oh. that's ancillary. Yes, yes. Who yeah. wouldn't? <laughs> Who wouldn't mm-hmm. show off if you got that? Yeah. Or maybe it's ancillary justice? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Or ancillary, depending on who you're talking to. Or ancillary, yep. Yeah. Ugh. So many good books. Yes. Yes. Like, we, could, we could go on for hours. Talking. We could. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I was also, like, something you said earlier um, made me think about an, an essay that I've been noodling on for like a a good bit at this point i don't Mm -hmm. remember exactly how long time is fake who knows (laughs) uh but i got so i i got the urge to to reread lord of the rings uh Mm -hmm. from somewhere i think part of my brain was just like my dude it's been over 20 years you gotta do this now and i was like damn you're right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like i have not the last time I read The Lord of the Rings was before the first movie, or at least before I saw the first movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Granted, I didn't see the first movie until, like, literally the summer after it came out in a tiny little second-run theater in, like, <laughs> somewhere in backwoods South Jersey oh, wow. at, like, 9 p.m. or something. <laughs> Um, because, because my friend was like, dude, you haven't seen Lord of the Rings yet? I bet it's still showing somewhere. We Mm -hmm. should go. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, let's do that then. Yep. Yep. It's such a beautiful piece of work. Um. It really is. And it's really annoying. It's deeply, deeply annoying to me also because (laughs) I'd started like... I I started rereading the book and then I was like, well, I've got the first film free streaming. Like, I don't even have to pull out, like, I already own it from some point back Mm -hmm. streaming. I don't have to pull out a DVD player. Like, I have got the extended editions of everything. uh, But, like, so I, I started watching it and then I was like, oh, no, I have to write an essay about this because... Like, part of it is just my sensibilities around the things I want out of stories. And Uh. one of the things I want out of stories is, like, I really dig deeply unsettling atmosphere. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, like, the first... Honestly, I'm in Lothlorien, and the the creep factor has not yet stopped in terms of first the the pursuit of frodo by the nine and then the pursuit by uh by smegal by gollum Mm -hmm. like all through moria uh, it doesn't let up into lothlorien and like the the film does actually like touch on the Gollum thing in Moria a little bit but like everything is so compressed in there yeah and it really you know I I get why it happened just like I understand why they had to have like a cave troll boss fight and (laughs) you know all the all this like you know very epic cinematic stuff that like yeah cool battles but it's not getting the point that tolkien was trying to make there's such different mediums like yeah you you can't 
tell the same story even when in a movie or a novel even if you're using the exact same list of facts and characters and plot points you just they're not going to be the same mm-hmm. um that's and because i have an acting degree i have <laughs> <laughs> yes i do have an acting degree um i have i have an an unusual perspective on that um mm-hmm. because i know why um the the main uh reason for me uh that novels end up feeling so different and are better at telling some stories than movies and vice versa there are some things mm-hmm. that you just can't communicate easily is it it comes down to what um what what novels are good at and novels mm-hmm. are incredibly good at interiority and um, communicating uh, character through uh, a thought process that when you put it on a screen, you mm-hmm. end up having things like the narration in Blade Runner, which yep. is entirely unnecessary and mm-hmm. makes the movie much better when you take it out because yep. you don't need it. You have an actor yeah. to convey that. You have... Um, you have visuals that you simply don't have in novels and you can move faster and often need to move faster because of your audience and their expectations. You sit down yeah. with a 500 page novel. You're not going to expect it to take you two and a half hours to read through the way you expect a movie to take two and mm-hmm. a half hours. There, there are a lot of different expectations you have to play to and, um, restrictions that you have to take into account yeah yeah i you know though the hopefully i can actually finish this essay and then like get it picked up by somebody but the, the i would 100 percent read it yeah the the ultimate point i got to um i i play off of the wow cool robot meme which uh for listeners who aren't aren't familiar, it's uh, a picture of a giant mecha Gundam uh, shooting a missile over the head of the viewer stand-in, and the the trail of the missile says "War is bad," and the uh, viewer has like a painted on sight line looking at the robot and a word bubble. Wow, cool robot! Yeah, uh, and the ultimate conclusion I came to was like Miyazaki would have made a better Lord of the Rings in at least in the way of like capturing Tolkien's spirit. Yeah. Than Peter Jackson did. And certainly a better Hobbit. Oh God. (laughs) Like we can all agree that the Hobbit movies were bad. Uh, I like them. I am not a defender of them. To be completely honest, I have not seen them because I couldn't make myself. (laughs) There are some good bits. There are some bits that are cool that they're in there, but do not belong in the movie of The Hobbit. Yep. There are some absolutely stupid bits that were added because capitalism. Why must capitalism ruin everything? Why must capitalism? It ruins everything. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the... I am... I am not a defender of those movies as a whole. I am a staunch defender of the... Uh, there's a, a sequence where they... Uh, where Gandalf goes to Dol Guldur that's actually on mm. film. Mm-hmm. And that gets the spook on. That wow. has, like, some, like, fucking H.P. Lovecraft Shadow Out of Time vibes to it. Which, like... Fuck H.P. Lovecraft. The Shadow uh, Out of Time is one of the scariest stories I've ever written or ever read. Yes, absolutely. Um, Lovecraft, despite his many, many failings, <laughs> had some just an incredible grasp of communicating his horror. Mm-hmm. Um, because... Uh, that is what writing is, right? Like you're communicating, you're trying to um, put the part of you that has come up with these things into somebody else's head. 
And mm-hmm. damn, he was good at that, despite yeah. the purple prose and the racism, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, you know, there there are plenty of people smarter than me who have said a lot of, of really great things about how hard it is to separate the racism from the whole idea of cosmic horror. And like, I agree with that. And I also, I think because of being a queer person, I deeply identify with the fear of the other as from the end of the other. Oh yeah. Yeah. There's a reason, um, one of the, like people have been lately coming out with some really interesting, um, takes on cosmic horror, like premium Muhammad's, um, mm-hmm. series and uh, Ruthanna Emrys um, yes. novel that is 100% told from the point of view of the other and it works so well and yeah. she is so very clearly knowledgeable on mm-hmm. Lovecraft lore that um, it's it's hard to be bothered by it at least in my my point of view because mm-hmm. because she she manages to deal with the racism racism without it becoming the reason for the horror right unless it's because you're the other who is having people being racist towards you it it's mm-hmm. it's a brilliant reversal of the perspective of something that she obviously loves but doesn't love the source or connotations of it yeah yeah we uh we had a like very abbreviated little chat about that when Ruthana was on uh on this show a couple of months ago and um yeah and i i i now i'm like man I have to have Premia on to talk about cosmic horror again. Like, she she's pretty brilliant. I yeah. would absolutely listen to that episode. <laughs> um, yeah, there is uh, there's just so much good going on in new books. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. It's incredible. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I just heard this weird sound and this blue police box showed up in the room the podcast room uh and i was wondering if we could at this point take a step into this time machine and go back if there was any uh words of wisdom that you could offer your younger writer self oh man um i think the things that i would uh suggest to myself is always read the piece after you've written it read Mm -hmm. it out loud Mm -hmm. because you find so many things that um otherwise your eyes just skim over but you can't do that when you're Mm -hmm. reading out loud um and i find that because of my acting background i i like to put a voice in there. I like to try mm-hmm. to have a continu- continuity of emotional experience through um, the the dialogue. And mm-hmm. um, reading it out loud forces me to see places where I've, I've made some discontinuity, perhaps be- for plot reasons or something mm-hmm. like that. And that kind of thing is so important to me that even though it takes a long time to read a hundred thousand word novel out loud to yourself mm-hmm. um it's 100 percent worth it and it'll save you at least half a draft i think it will it absolutely will this this was something that i was like my a lot of my creative writing professors in college talked about this and i was so resistant to it for yeah. so long like the only things I would read out loud when writing them were like when I took intro creative writing, I would read the poetry I was writing out loud because like you can't, you can't like, maybe you can, maybe somebody can. I cannot write poetry without hearing it. Yeah. It's because music. Because it is, it is, yeah, it's the, the whole point of it is the flow of the mm-hmm. words and the shape of the words and the shape that they make in your mouth and, and in your brain. Mm-hmm. 
And it took me so long to realize, like, oh, no, you actually do have to read your prose out loud. Yeah. And I I don't, I honestly don't know because, like, my brain is a scrambled egg whether or not I started reading things out loud before or after I started podcasting. But, like, boy, let me tell you, making a podcast gets you real used to the sound of your voice real fast and you stop caring about how it actually sounds oh, and yeah. you're just like you're getting it out there. Yeah, it it it's different than say like if I'm doing a performance, if I'm doing mm-hmm. if I'm narrating a novel or a short story or whatever, I'm not um I'm not putting a performance out there. It doesn't have to sound perfect. If I stumble over a word, I will make sure that the music of the phrase is the way I want it to be. But because mm-hmm. it's in print, and I mean, this is a side statement, but I, I, when I read, I don't necessarily hear the words in my head. I don't have as much of an internal voice as mm-hmm. um, some people do. To me, it's the shape of the words and the shape of the letters and the shape of the prose on the page that mm-hmm. um that like there are parts of uh frank herbert's dune that i can recall exactly where things are on the page because that's how my mind mm. works um and but but when if i go back going back to um reading aloud i'm if i read it out loud i can't skip over anything and mm-hmm. I don't have to sound good. I, I, I know how to read the, these things so that they sound like a performance, but they don't have to be. They just right. have to um, get out there so that I can see the dumb things that I have done and fix them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I want to uh, touch on that a little bit more because uh, you are somebody who has performed things and who has narrated things for audio for instance um oh i never get the title of it right it's uh how i be uh queen of coruscating night yes yes and um (laughs) no shit originally printed in no shit there i was yes (laughs) uh has an unpronounceable sword name that you still manage to carry off brilliantly i figured it out um, it was definitely a story where I got the piece and I was like, are you serious? <laughs> <laughs> and I've actually talked to Matt Dovey and um, the other author whose name escapes me uh, right Stuart now. Stuart Baker. Thank you, Stuart Baker. I talked to them and they both apologized for having given me <laughs> an unpronounceable name. But it was so much fun to read. I, I mm-hmm. like deeply fun and um, man, if they ever uh, were interested in having me read again for them, I would jump on it. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, do you have any advice for people who are uh, maybe thinking about getting into narration, or even just thinking about like how they can, you know, they might have a reading at some point. They mm. want to be able to deal with that. They just like. These are widely applicable skills. They are. Um, I mean, most writers will at some point be asked to do a reading. And, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that people are most terrified of is public speaking. And reading your own work feels like bearing your chest to a whole Mm -hmm. room full of people you've never met before. It's terrifying. Um, But for me, the things that I do before I read something is um, I will sit down and read it through at least a few times um, before I before the day of, um, and mm-hmm. I will go through and mark up the the piece of text with, okay, these this particular sentence is a little difficult to enunciate properly, so slow down, be aware of what's going on. Um, mm-hmm. this character here, even though there's no dialogue tag, this is that character, so don't give him the scratchy-voiced character. Mm-hmm. You, this is the smooth-voiced character. Um, so that sort of note to myself is really helpful and takes 
some of the anxiety involved in reading something cold out. Mm-hmm. Um, I also, and I don't know if this is just uh, experience in doing readings or uh, remnants of my um, theater time, but I, I am, I work at being able to read past what I am currently saying. Mm-hmm. And that keeps me from stumbling. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's a skill that uh, is absolutely worth developing, I think, if you're a writer. Because mm-hmm. any time that you have any, any sort of uh, in, in-person public experience like this, even a podcast, having something up there to read through is really helpful in keeping you from sounding like a stammering idiot sometimes. And the more, mm-hmm. you, the more you stumble over yourself, the more anxious you're going to be. Um, yeah. so practice, make sure you have water, um, yep. drink water and yes. And, um, do your best to mark out the things that might trip you up so that you have a chance of seeing it before they actually trip you. I think those are the, yeah. a really good, um, starter, starter places. Which also comes back to like what we were talking about earlier of like you you have to read things out loud. You have to practice. Like you do. it's, it is not wasted time. However much it feels like, oh, I don't want to spend the extra time on this. It is vital. Yep. Yep. And to be completely honest, um, reading from a piece of paper is so much easier and takes so much mm-hmm. less time than memorizing Shakespeare. Yeah. <laughs> so, so to me, this is like a cakewalk. But also it's so you so i don't have to work as much as if like i'm memorizing a soliloquy but i do need to practice even as somebody mm-hmm. who's thoroughly comfortable on stage and um doesn't have too much trouble um reading my own work uh i i pulled out i picked the piece from tilted uh, a couple days ago and i sat down and read through it and made sure i had a reasonable amount of time Mm-hmm. And uh, did the whole like marking things and the occasional cringe at like why did <laughs> I repeat that word four times in that paragraph? Uh huh. But you know that's that's what that's happens. That's the tales from the trunk experience. That's <laughs> that is like essential trunk cast. <laughs> Should have read it out loud more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it really is a lot easier to read things off the page than e- than like even something that you might have had memorized for a decade. Like, yeah, I would much rather get up in front of people and uh, oh, and like print it out at a at a font that you can read reasonably well. Yes, like way way better to have fifty pages of twenty four point font. Than one page yeah. of ten point. Oh God, because yeah. <laughs> losing your like place. An iPad or an e-reader or yeah. something like really great. When I did, when I was on Story Hour, however long ago that was, like I just had my Kindle out, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, luckily I already had the ebook of. I was reading my story from Skies of Wonder, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, an Isle of Wright production. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but like, you know, I normally read at like a 12 point font or something, but for mm-hmm. that, I was like, no, fuck it. Like yeah. 18 point, 20 point, like make yeah. this easy. Yep. That's so much easier than like, I've known the Raven for 20 years mm-hmm. and like, we'll do voices and everything, yep. but like, I'd still rather just read off a page. Right. It's, it's much easier. Um, there, the times that I find it, it's important that it's uh, memorized are not times that I think writers ever need to run into. Yeah. Like, yeah. E- even if you're on, um, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, the worst possible outlet being on television, um, 
they they don't expect writers to be like um castle in the tv show like where you get them on stage and they're they're the life of the party and they are charisma oozing from them that's not what they expect from us Mm -hmm. it's it's just best to like allow that to just relax they they can take care of you yeah yeah i turned the charisma on specifically for the podcast oh yeah and nobody's watching me except my guests and then I get off and I go straight back into gremlin mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, like, you, you gotta do that. Yeah, you, it, as an introvert, a very significant introvert, I, I, I can put it on. I can be very um, personable and social. And then as soon mm-hmm. as it's done, I have to collapse for the next day. Yeah. Yeah. Listeners who don't know me, like, outside of, which... I assume is like a lot of you yeah. who don't like know me outside of the podcast might be surprised that I am uh, like, you know, who I am on this podcast and who I am on Twitter are not the regular me. Like I absolutely pop off at the mouth with stupid shit in my life the same way I do on Twitter, but I don't do it to like the world. No, that's exhausting. <laughs> It's utterly exhausting. Even Twitter is exhausting. Yes. I recently uh, tweeted something in support of trans rights. And um, I'm sorry. Oh, no, starting... you can't be doing that. I know, right? And I started getting TERFs in my mentions. And I just, like, I'd argue with you, but it's not worth it. And you guys yeah. have fun. I, I, I block. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, a couple of quick questions before we get going. Uh, first, do you have anything coming out from your own uh, work that you're excited to uh, let our listeners know about? Um, well, right now I'm actually working on a... Um, it's turning out to be like a Twitch stream that I'm going to make into YouTube videos uh, called Ooh. Fix My Fight Scene. And nice. I am going to go on to Twitch and talk about uh, how I write fight scenes and take questions. And mm-hmm. um, I've had at least one person offer to um, let me use uh, a trunked piece as um, the center of a, um, a show, Fantastic. which would be great. And I'm really looking forward to that. I should have that out Hopefully um, before Worldcon, which I will be at as well. So excellent. So that will be uh, presumably up before this go. This episode goes up in mid late September. That so. is the plan. There should be at least one thing, and uh, if if it turns out to be as easy as I think it's going to be, I'm hoping <laughs> to do one a week. Especially if, like if I can get enough people interested in hanging out and talking with me, that's it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we'll we'll talk more about this after the show, but uh, you should definitely link up with KB Wagers about that. I'd love because to because they are also uh, have a lot of martial arts experience mm. and uh, write a mean fight scene. Nice, all over that. Yeah. Um, Listeners, as always, links will be in the show notes. uh, And I'm super looking forward to tuning into that myself, uh, because one of the things we didn't really get a chance to touch on was your martial arts experience. And but like you've helped me out with a fight scene before. It's invaluable. It it is really difficult to... um... I find that having a, a a subject matter expert is always important, right? Mm-hmm. But for something that's as physical as as martial arts and as chaotic, mm-hmm. and you also have to keep in mind that there are enough people out there who are aficionados 
of martial arts who will just shake their finger and lose suspension of disbelief if uh-huh. you you can't do it right. I've run into that myself a few times in novels that I otherwise really enjoyed, where it's just like, oh no, sadness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm I'm not gonna shake my finger at anyone who um, who who gets like the details of a type of sword wrong, especially when they're Uh writing fantasy. Like like I'm not gonna be like the guys who read spy thrillers screaming about the type of ammunition you use in your Glock, whatever. (laughs) Um, But if if you run into physical impossibilities if Mm -hmm. you do something that i as someone who has not i have never worked with like live steel but i have worked um hard stick sparring and that that's you you get that wrong you get hurt and Mm -hmm. so i know what if you do something that like i know what will happen (laughs) yeah if you tried to do that what you just said happened would not happen it would it would be this and it's it's hard not to focus on that so um, yeah that's why we reach out to people who know things we don't know as writers and get um more information super super useful i just i i quit after two episodes because i was like oh this is this is just propaganda i don't really want to vibe with it more but i watched the first two episodes of the netflix ghost in the shell 2045 or whatever it is and it's you know like it's regular classic ghost in the shell also a cop story like we just have to accept that and like maybe just leave it in the past but there was one and like most of it was just like bang bang gun porn stuff but Mm -hmm. there was one up close altercation that just took like two seconds or something on screen that was amazingly well done and like i was like i know that wasn't specifically this aikido technique but it got to like aikido is just like oh sensei had studied all the other martial arts and was like i like this and this and this from these different things yep and like you know, it it's not unique to Mar- to Aikido to like pin somebody to the ground and have one elbow, like one arm, you know, all right. the way up over their head. Like that's just a regular grappling thing. It is. But the fact that they did it in such a like smooth, believable way was like, yeah. okay, someone on this like animation team knows and cares, and that really yeah. is great. Yeah, huge huge props to anyone who um actually brings in real fight choreographers and yeah. and, and listens to animation. them yeah cuz that's not a thing that you have to do like it's it's all drawings it's not real none mm-hmm. of this is real and yet it makes yeah. it 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 makes it sink in as real more when yeah. you take care of little details like that yeah um second after i just gave a kind of anti-recommendation uh is there anything that you've been reading listening to watching or playing that you are just super jazzed about and uh want listeners all the way in middle september of 2022 to know about and check out oh wow um well uh like i said i've been reading a lot of jane austen um, I just mm-hmm. finished Sense and Sensibility, which is probably it's not it's not the best of her novels. It's one of her earlier ones, but mm-hmm. it's the one that is closest to my heart because of the um, the the movie that was out back in I think the early two thousands with Emma Thompson oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and um, just absolutely brilliant, Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm. Uh, makes me cry every time i see it and um because because i feel like i am that character but also it it's it's a like i saw somebody talking about the uh netflix adaptation of persuasion which is not getting great reviews but Mm -hmm. um 
they also pointed out that if this is your gateway drug to getting into Jane Austen, then it can be your gateway drug. Like Clueless mm -hmm. is a Jane Austen adaptation. Yeah. Um, there's nothing wrong with finding your own way into uh, the classics. I just finished reading What Moves the Dead by T. Kingfisher. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, my God, is that good? It's a, it's a Fall of the House of Usher um, yeah. redo, and it's so good. It She just has this skill of being like making me want to throw the book across the room because she's creeped me the hell out mm -hmm. <laughs> it's amazing um mm -hmm. yeah i love a book that does that yeah uh where when we are recording this we are sitting on the cusp of uh sarah gailey's just like home actually oh, releasing yeah. and uh as i've i've said numerous times uh at mostly not to brag but also a little bit to brag i got to read an arc of the book and mm -hmm. like i was terrified to be reading it in broad daylight it is that good and that scary and like people who manage that are so amazing yeah yeah i i remember seeing um gailey did a tweet thread that um was clearly mostly a uh a little teaser for the book coming mm -hmm. out and it's so good it's so creepy and gross but it's you can so feel every like slimy inch of what's talking about it's uh -huh. it's great i love it i i uh i i love that stuff i will watch those and read those forever mm -hmm. yeah give me the goosebumps yeah so good um, Amy, before we get going, finally, where can our listeners find you? You can find me on Twitter at A. Kaczynski, excuse me, Amy Kaczynski, my first name and my last name, all one word, um, and Martial Artiste on Twitch. Uh, if you look up Fantastic. Uh, Fix My Fight Scene, you will find the YouTube channel. So I will be out there. Excellent. Uh, and as always listeners uh links will be in the show notes especially now that i've like fixed my workflow so that i can make show notes much more seamlessly uh it's revolutionary i'll probably talk about it on twitter or something at some point fun uh amy thank you so much for coming on the show it's been such a delight thank you so much hillary this has been great absolutely uh listeners stick around next month when uh, Aiden Mower will be joining us on book tour and uh, somebody else will be on for the other episode, but I don't know who, because this is July and I have not hammered out all of my guests for the next half a year yet. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. Our theme music is Paper Wings by Lillian Boyd. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash trunkcast. All patrons of the show now get a sticker and logo button, along with show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at trunkcast, and I tweet at hbbisniex. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject. <laughs>